Good morning, church family. It's great to see everyone today. Hope you guys are having a great Sunday morning. Um, it has been good to worship together so far this morning as we continue. As, um, <clears throat> yeah. So as, as Bruce mentioned, we are starting a new series this week where we're going to be going through the Apostles' Creed. And we're going to dive into this. And, but before that, let's uh, open up with a word of prayer. Join with me. Dear Father, thank you so much for who you are and how you love us. Thank you for your word that we can know it, we can see you through it, that we can know how to respond to you because of how you revealed yourself to us. Well, I just pray for this time as we open up your word, as we look at this historic confession of faith, that we can be moved to know who you are and what you've done, that we can be moved to see ourselves in a long line of believers that stretch for thousands of years. Lord, we love you, we seek you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. So when I was in school, the quickest way to make me not want to read a book was if a teacher assigned it. I like to read, but if someone assigns it, I guess it's an inner rebel in me, I don't want to read it anymore. I think that's pretty prevalent, especially in high school, in which maybe that's why all the people in high school, when teachers assigned books to read, they loved cliff notes. I don't know if you guys know what cliff notes are, or may, oh, you're, some of you are really familiar with cliff notes. They're like, oh, thank you, cliff notes, you got me through this class. But cliff notes, they're that summary, that like study guide for a book. They kind of condense it and they lay it out for you so you don't have to do any thinking yourself. You're just like, oh, here it is. This is what this book means. And I, now I probably can do okay on, on that test or that paper. But it's this idea of summarizing something that might be complex. It's this idea of taking something that might take a long time to process or wade through, but summarizing in a way that's accessible. And people love summaries. There's even companies now that summarize books for people who have to read a lot, like pastors have to read a lot or feel like we have to read a lot. And there's companies that will summarize books, and basically you can subscribe to them, and they'll give you the book summaries. I think that's cheating, but still, it's there. It's, it's this idea that summaries can be helpful. And there's summaries everywhere in our life. We look at the back of novels, for instance, to see if maybe we want to read it. We can uh, tune into a trailer for a movie, and it kind of gives us a concise summary that entices us, maybe shows us where it's going. Summaries are good because they make something maybe complex accessible. Well, when we come to our Christian faith, which at times can seem complex, or when we come to the Word of God, at times can seem rather large and daunting to wade through, we might long for a summary. And I don't think we're alone. That's why, that's why so many years ago, Christians got together and they provided and came up with a summary of our faith, which is basically what the Apostles' Creed is. It's a summary, it's an outline of what we believe. It's a summary of what the Bible teaches and what the Bible has laid out through history. And so this is what we do when we, we look at the Apostles' Creed as we read this morning. We see it being a summary, an outline of our faith. So let's just talk about the Apostles' Creed for a second. Well, maybe you guys came from a background, a church background, where you recited the Creed every Sunday. Some of us maybe came from a background where we didn't even know there was such a thing as the Apostles' Creed. So there's people from all different ways, but when we come to the Apostles' Creed, we have to ask, 
what is it? It's called the Apostles' Creed, but actually was not written by the apostles, but it was a summary of their teachings their, they, that they passed on to the early church. And probably first started around the second century, but the form we usually operate with now was uh, kind of cemented in the 700s. And this creed historically was used in teaching the early church. It was used to grow new believers. It was used in the worship services. It was even used in the baptismal services of new converts to the Christian faith. And when we read it, you could see some things about it, a very clear Trinitarian structure. I believe in God the Father Almighty. I believe in Jesus Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And so we see how it's seeking to frame our faith in a way that we can approach and organize our minds around. Well, Albert Moeller, uh, who is the president of Southern um, Baptist Theological Seminary, says this about it. It says, all Christians believe more than is contained in the Apostles' Creed, but none can believe less. It's this idea that it does not give us the detailed explanation of everything we believe or everything the Bible says, and so we believe more than is contained in it. But it is the bedrock, the, the building blocks of our foundation. And if you, if you be believe in Christ, you should believe was stated in the Apostles' Creed. So this is a little different series than we are probably used to here at River Valley. We usually go through a book of the Bible and we expound upon that. And it's pretty simple in that way because we can know where we are and where it's going. And so people might ask, why would we take time of our preaching schedule to focus on the Apostles' Creed? Why would we focus on this creed? And there's some, because some people might have some objections to even using a creed in worship, or a man-made thing rather than just the Word of God. And these objections might come across where people say, well, there should be no creed but the Bible. This is a thought where they say, I have Jesus, I have the Word of God, that's all I need. Well, I think there's a little bit of a misunderstanding there because the creed is actually based off of what the Bible says and is seeking just to give it to us in a summarized, straightforward way. And actually, even that fact when people say no creed from the, but the Bible is in itself a creed because a creed just means something you believe. Creed comes from the Latin credo, which means I believe. And so it's just a statement of faith. And then finally, I would say, that creeds are biblical. For when you read the Bible, statements of faith are found throughout the Bible. And really the earliest creed, the earliest I believe statement of the Christian church was Christ is Lord, which the Apostle Creed seeks to expound upon and lay out what does that mean that Christ is Lord. Well, other people might object to using creeds was this idea that, man, this is an over-focus on doctrine or theology. And I get it. I've been there when I've been waxing so elegantly. Probably not. But when I've been really jazzed up about those details of theology and I can see eyes glaze over, <laughs> it's because people could confuse that theology or doctrine has to include big words or complex concepts or is only for dry and dusty libraries or that ivory tower. It's not that understanding. People say, no, we just need to focus on, on who Jesus is and, and really focus on that. Well, then if you ask that person, well, who is Jesus? And they start to explain it. Right there, 
they're doing theology. Because that's simply what it is. Doctrine is what we believe. Theology is thinking about God. And so whenever we try to talk about God or, or describe God or tell people who Jesus is, we're doing theology. And so this idea that this is an over-focus on doctrine misses the point of actually what theology or doctrine is. That's good. That the creed helps us get our beliefs right. Well, some people might object to, the, to uh, creeds by saying, man, we don't need to be focusing on belief so much as be focusing on doing. We need to be out there. We need to be serving. We need to be doing the things we're called to do in the Bible. And I'll say, yeah, that's exactly right. But that's seeking to divide what should never be divided. For belief and action go hand in hand. That action is based on what we believe, and what we believe should be lived out through action. And so it's not over-focusing on belief. It's like when we actually know what we believe, hopefully that means that we're going to live for Christ better, or how we should live for Christ. So when we come to the Apostles' Creed, we see this is about belief. What do Christians believe? What does the church believe? And so we're going to look at a passage in the Bible, in the Gospel of Mark, that's all about belief. This is found in Mark chapter 9, and we're going to start in uh, verse 17. To set this up, Jesus had, uh, had been away with um, James, Peter, and John, and they had come back to the rest of the disciples, and the disciples were in uh, this, these townspeople were having a discussion, an argument about um, this kid who is sick, and it picks up there in uh, verse uh, 17 of chapter 9. And someone from the crowd answered him, Jesus, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And the spirit saw him immediately, it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? He said, from childhood. It's often cast him into the fire, into water, to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. This is a great account of Jesus' power, of his divinity, of him, him having authority over un, uh, uh, evil spirits and disease. And we can see his, his divinity and power in this, this story, but at the same time, we will be focusing on that belief that is in this account because this belief is that gateway to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so when you're looking at this, we can say this, I believe is the doorway to faith. It's not a coincidence that I believe is the first statement of the, of the, of the creed. I believe is it's that way we start to enter into the Christian faith. 
I believe, is how we start articulating that we're followers of Christ. I believe is saying, this is where I stand, and I can do no other. This is what I believe, and I'll be moved to follow that belief, that I believe is the doorway to faith. And we see that in that account in, in Mark 9. This, this, this father of this child says to Jesus, I believe. He's saying, I truly believe in you. I know you can help him. And he has faith. He, he knows that Jesus can, can save his son. I believe is the doorway to faith. Well, when we say that, we have to first ask, what is faith? A lot of people have this conception maybe of faith being that leap into darkness, that um, irrational kind of step that we just, we just kind of blindly hope something is true, that that is what faith is. But that's not what faith is at all. It's not irrational. It's not a blind leap. It's actually trusting something to be true because of evidence, because you believe it makes sense. One writer put it like this. Faith is, like, is more like tasting a dish that you've never tried before. You see other people enjoying it. You've read the reviews about it. The chef swears you'll like it. There are good grounds for trusting, but you will never know for sure till you try it. That's what faith is. There's good grounds to believe. Historical grounds. Things are true. Things we have seen in our lives. The truth of, of who God is but we'll never know until we actually try it ourselves. That's a biblical concept. Uh, Psalms 34, 8 says, Taste and see the Lord is good. You see God saying, just try me out. You, there's good grounds for trusting me, good uh, grounds to see that I am good. When we look back at Matthew, uh, I mean Mark 9, we see that in the father as well, this father of the child, that there was good grounds for him to trust Jesus. That he, he, he probably had heard who Jesus was. He, this is a, a region where Jesus had been performing miracles and had been ministering, so he probably had seen or knows people who saw Jesus saving people and, and from diseases and from evil spirits. And so the Father had good grounds to trust that Jesus had the ability to save his son. It was not an irrational leap on his part to go to Jesus with his boy, but he knew, I heard this guy can perform miracles, and I need a miracle now. And so he took his son to him, because he believed. When we talk about faith and belief, there's those three aspects that we might have talked about before that make up what belief is, faith is. Well, to believe something, you first have to have knowledge about that thing. You have to know it. Not only that, but you have to assent to it. You have to actually believe it's true. That knowledge that you have is true. But finally, what makes belief belief, faith faith, is that you trust it and you put your life into it. You can think of it as a stool that you can, you, can, you know it's a stool, it's what it's designed for. And you assent to, okay, it's a stool. It should hold my body weight. But you don't tr actually trust that stool, have faith in it until you actually sit down on it and let it bear your weight. Well, just think about that father. He's demonstrating probably all three aspects of faith when he comes to Jesus. That he had knowledge. He had heard about Jesus. He probably had seen Jesus. He had knowledge that Jesus had his ability. But not only that, but he started, he assented to it. He believed it was true. Jesus could do this thing. 
Jesus had the power. Jesus had the compassion. Jesus had the ability. And then he trusted as he placed this boy into Jesus' arms. He believed it and trusted it. He had faith that Jesus could save him. I believe is a doorway to faith. But Christians don't just believe in belief. It's not our faith that we believe in. We believe in something. That's why the Apostles' Creed says, I believe, and then has a statement about what we believe. It doesn't just end with, I believe. It actually focuses on the object of our faith. Because it's not so much about our faith that makes the difference. It's what we believe into. Because what we believe into, Jesus, is what keeps us safe, what saves us, what brings us to God. And so Christians believe in the who Jesus is and the object of faith is what matters. So often we can get introspective and do some navel gazing and, and start questioning our faith because we, we are weak, right? And we sometimes doubt. And we're like, man, is my faith strong enough? But again and again, I think you see that's not about how strong your faith is. It's how strong our Savior is. It's not how strong and how well we believe, but it's how great our Savior, our God is. The object of our faith makes all the difference. You can kind of think about it like um, rock climbing, if you will. If you guys ever been rock climbing, where you're roped in, you, you trust that rope, right? That that rope's going to save you. If you fall, you're not going to hit the ground. Hopefully, if you have people who know what they're doing with you, you're not going to hit the ground. You trust in that, right? And some people trust really well, right? And they scamper up the wall, and they are totally self-assured. That rope and whoever's belaying them's got them. And they might have great faith. And some people might be scared. They might be clinging to that rock wall with, with white knuckled grip and just wearing themselves out because they don't want to fall because maybe they don't trust that rope as much as they could. Well, let me ask you a question. Who is more secure? The person with total confidence or the person who's doubting? The same, right? Because it's the same rope that holds them. Their security doesn't come on how well they believe. Their security comes on what is holding them up, the rope. And the same thing is with Christians. Our security doesn't come on how well we can believe, how strong we are in faith, though we should grow in that, and it, it makes our experience so much better if we are stronger in faith. But our security comes from Jesus Christ, the object of our faith, who keeps us secure. And I love that because I think you see this fact in the story in Mark 9. I love the Father when Jesus is talking to him. What does he say? I believe. Help my unbelief. He says, I believe. I believe you are who you say you are, Jesus. I believe you have the power to save my son. I truly believe this. But I also know that I am weak. I also know that I will fail. I also know I can't believe hard enough. And so help my unbelief. And that is the same cry that we all can relate to. Because we, are, we should cry out almost daily, probably do cry out almost daily, God, I believe in you. 
But I know how I fell. I know how I fall short. I know how I don't believe like I should believe. I know how sometimes my life does not live up to what I say I believe. I know how I have these doubts rattling around my mind. I know how I am not who I'm supposed to be, but I believe and help me for I am weak. This is actually what faith is. It's saying, I believe, but I know I'm totally dependent upon you, God. I know I'm totally dependent upon you, Jesus, to make me believe how I should, to live as I should, that we depend upon Christ even for the faith we have in Christ. That we can say with this father of this boy, I believe. Help my unbelief so I can be yours and follow you all of my days. I believe is the doorway when we look at faith, we see the fact that faith, belief in Jesus, belief in God is personal. Each person has to come to a place where they proclaim this faith. Each person, as we recited this creed together, said it, I believe. They're making a statement for themselves. And I love how Albert Moeller says this, I believe these two words are among the most explosive words any human can utter. They open the door to eternal life and are the foundation of the Christian faith. Belief stands as the very center of Christian faithfulness. It is where Christianity begins for the Christian. We enter the faith and find eternal life in Christ by responding to truth with trust, that is, with belief. That I believe these words that we say change the world for us. That when we say, I believe, our earth is shattered because it, our whole way of seeing this cosmos is reordered. That when we say, I believe, we are putting ourselves under Jesus, in his, uh, under his authority, as one of his. And we're saying, I believe, it changes who we are. It's a personal statement of what we believe and where we stand. Which means no one can believe for you. So we live in an area of the country that people might like to call the Bible Belt which just basically means, whether you agree with that term or not, that, culture, that uh, Christianity is a, has been, historically, a big part of the culture. So that people, most likely, the majority of people in our area, is changing, but um, it's, it's still mostly true, probably were raised in a church. Or they had grandparents that went to a church. Or they have some connection to a church. And that's great. I mean, we should all love that. We want everyone to have that connection to church. But it comes dangerous because in this kind of cultural Christianity, if you will, people might start looking for something else besides their own personal belief to cling to. They might look to grandparents or parents and say, well, they took me to church, and so I guess I'm a member of that church that I haven't set foot into for a couple years. And they start looking to these connections saying, well, maybe I'm a Christian because something happened in my past, and um, it's all a family deal, and my parents are Christians, so that means I'm a Christian, right? Well, I think this idea that faith is personal comes and confronts that, that each person, each person needs to make that statement for themselves, that I believe, that this is for me, this is what, where I stand, and how I am going to live, because I believe is the doorway to faith. But while it's personal, it's not private. 
For there is a corporate element to this statement, I believe. For as we sat here and we cited the Apostles' Creed, I believe, there were all these voices at the same time saying, I believe. That when we say, I believe, we're actually entering into the church that believes these things together. That when we say, I believe together, we're saying, we believe these things. This is what defines us. This is what makes the church a church. This is what makes this church this church. That we believe these things. That we are part of this family of the faith, this faith community, God's family. That when we personally say, I believe, we now are corporately coming together as people who believe together and are united together. It's why we called this series, We Believe. Because the Apostles' Creed, this statement of faith, is what unites us. It's what grounds us. It's what, why we would get up on a Sunday morning and come here together. People from so many different backgrounds and vast experiences and different ways of seeing the world, maybe. But they all, we all come together and we're professing the same thing because this is what unites us. The strongest bond that we have is this statement of faith. We believe. I believe. Which means that our faith gives us unity together. Unity in how we're supposed to approach life. Unity in what we believe and who God is. And there's so many things in this world that try to separate us. Try to divide us into different camps. Where this statement, I believe, along with everyone else that believes, we believe, brings us together and unites us. Think about all the things that seek to pull us and divide us in this world. Well, politics might be a big one, right? Isn't it amazing that people who stand on different sides of the aisle when it comes to politics can sit next to each other on a Sunday morning professing we believe. Why is that possible? Well, because I would argue strongly that your political view should never define you who you are as a person. Yes, you can have great conversations and debates with people, but that's not what defines you. What defines you is where you stand with Christ. And therefore, you can sit by a brother or sister who might be, believe very differently than you when it comes to politics. But you guys believe in who Jesus is, and therefore, you are united together in God's family. Well, let's take COVID-19 and whatever you believe about that seeks to divide, seeks to pit brother and sister against brother and sister. But what does, when we say, I believe, do? It unifies us on something greater and better and more important than anything else that's going on in this world, and that is who Jesus is and how we follow him. And that means that we can look at someone who has different views than us, look at someone who operates differently in this world, and love them and respect them and honor them and maybe even change our behavior for them, but it doesn't, that, how we view that thing should not divide us, that we love each other greatly and we're united on who Jesus is. And that makes all the difference. Looking at Jesus and knowing who he is and our common faith in him unifies us, brings us together as a church. A.W. Tozer, a Christian author, 
puts unity and how we get unity like this. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meet together, each one looking uh, first to Christ, are in heart uh, nearer to each other than they could possibly be by where they become unity conscious. That to how do we get unified? It's not to look at each other and conform to each other. How do we get unified? We look to Christ. And if, we're, if we are, are conforming and being transformed to follow Christ, and we're all doing that at once, guess what? We naturally become unified and become one together. Because he sets the standard, he defines it. And that is my prayer for this church. That each one of us, no matter where we stand on any, any other thing in this world, can look to Christ and seek to follow him. Can look to Christ and seek to be transformed by his word. Can look to Christ and seek to know him and to live a life richly following him. And if we all did that, look to Christ, we would all be unified together. Saying together, I believe. We believe. I believe is the doorway to faith. Which just brings up one last question. Do you believe? Do you believe not just what the Apostles' Creed said, but do you believe what the Word of God says? Do you believe what the Bible spells out for us? Do you believe in who Jesus is? Do you believe? Because that makes all the difference. Do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, the God who spoke the whole cosmos into being by a word? Do you believe that he made humanity, Adam and Eve, after his image, and that humanity went astray, did their own thing, and rebelled against him? And because of that, now we're all born into sin, and so we need a Savior. Do you believe that God provides that Savior, Jesus Christ, his only Son, as atonement to bring us back to relationship with him? That on that cross, he took our sins upon himself, that in his life he lived righteously, things we could not do, so that now we're given his righteousness, our sins are taken away, and now we're ushered into the kingdom of God through him. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit, this Holy Spirit from God who unites us to Christ, who applies his salvation to us, who, who stamps us and steals us so that our eternity is assured, eternity with God the Father, eternity with God the Son, eternity with God the Holy Spirit that will forever be with them, forever? Do you believe that he'll come back again one day, that he will all be resurrection and that we'll have life forever with our God? Do you believe? For that changes everything about your life in this world. I believe it's a doorway to faith. Join me in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for who you are, that you love us, that you care for us, that you provided your word for us, that we can open it up and read and know you. And Lord, we, we thank you for the rich historical um, lineage that we have of faithful followers that we look, can look back on and learn from. That this creed unites us with 
hundreds and hundreds of years of faithful followers seeking to honor you and live for you. And it unites us together as your church, as your people. So Lord, I pray for all of us here and all of us who are joining online, who all will listen to this, that we can be united in you. That we can follow you with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul and our strength. That we can serve you with all that you have given us. That we can be yours and united together by our common faith. Faith that makes us family. Faith that makes us a church. Lord, we love you. We seek you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, let's stand together again. We're going to sing one last song. Um, and I, 